You're listening to the one-on-one with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Robin Lammy. Robin is the founder and CEO of Tokai Ultimate. Tokai Ultimate is a company devoted to making Ultimate-specific cleats that are specifically engineered to maximize performance, comfort, and durability. The project started in 2015, and they launched a Kickstarter campaign that had backers across five continents. Prior to Tokai Ultimate, Robin was an engineer in product development, working as a consultant on innovation for sport companies. In 2016, he left his full-time job to focus specifically on Tokai Ultimate and creating the best Ultimate-specific equipment. Robin currently lives in the French Alps. Here is my interview with Robin Lamy. All right, so I'm here with Robin Lamy, all the way from France. He is the founder and CEO of Tokai Ultimate. So if you play Ultimate, which you probably do if you listen to this podcast, and you've seen some people with some Ultimate-specific cleats. They're probably wearing the Tokai Ultimate cleats there. So it's something that's kind of a new innovation. We've seen that a little bit more, Ultimate-specific cleats. There was Gaia back in the day in the 90s, I believe, early 2000s. But we're seeing some more Ultimate-specific equipment. So Robin's here to talk about it. Really excited for it. So Robin, how are you doing today all the way from France? I'm glad to be here with you today. Yeah, I appreciate that. I know it's snowing out there in uh, the French Alps, as we talked about off air. It's also snowing out here in Toronto, probably a little bit lighter than it is in the French Alps. So so we are connected. We're connected with the weather. It's true. So we're going to start first off, as uh, I mentioned in the bio, you founded this company, but let's take it all the way back to just how you found out about the sport of Ultimate. Because the way you found out about the sport of Ultimate, it's a little bit different than maybe some other people who've started Ultimate Frisbee Company. So why don't you start off with telling us how you found out about the sport of Ultimate Frisbee. Yeah, thank you for asking the question, actually. It's, I shouldn't tell that story because it's pretty bad, but I started as all the, the bullies that make fun of people playing Ultimate. I had a, a good friend at university who was playing Ultimate, and like when we finished uh, uni, I had to move to another city. I didn't know anybody. I wanted to pick up a team sport and sadly I like I was 25 I had never played a team sport so I decided I will pick a team sport that wouldn't be really known because I knew if I wanted to pick up soccer at 25 I will, I will be kicked out directly so yeah I remember that friend who told me about ultimate frisbee and yeah on the like first training I, I fell in love yeah yeah and so it's kind of funny. You're saying that you started off as one of the skeptics is is what you're telling us, right? You started off as a skeptic. Yeah, yeah totally. And so after you played that first game, what made you fall in love with it? Like what specifically about the sport made you fall in love with it? 
So I think like first was like the I always liked running and yeah having fun while while doing sports and I think I loved everything about the sports like the fact that you have to run you end up like so tired you can't even breathe especially especially when you don't know how to play a team sport and you run around everywhere and also like the flight of the frisbee and everything all that atmosphere and like the thrill i liked everything so that was for the first few months and then i started to understand about yeah the spirit of the game the self-referee thing and started to think about it and i was like yeah i really like what goes around the game like yeah the the spirit in the sense of what comes with the, the sport. And that's, yeah, that, that was it. I was done. <laughs> and where you are, you're in France, as I mentioned there off the top. And so Ultimate's pretty big there in terms of the national teams being successful as well. So have you had any experience even just watching or interacting with some of those players on the national team at all? So, um, yeah, not, now I know them pretty well and we're good friends. Some, sometimes we, we, we chat and everything, especially, especially now when we cannot connect, like see each other for real. But when I started Tokai, like, well, I live in France is, is a region that is where Ultimate is not so big. I live in a city where the 50 people who know what Ultimate Frisbee is are the 50 players of the club. So, <laughs> including the beginners. Yeah, initially I, I, I didn't know all of that spirit and that, that was, yeah, like the third step of me falling in love with the sport was discovering those international tournaments and yeah, all that stuff. So what was the, as you just mentioned, what was the first international tournament you were a part of then or either as a player or as a fan, whichever, what was the first big international tournament that you were a part of? I think the first one was Talempaya, played in Geneva, uh, Switzerland. And yeah, we went there with um, a team from our region. It was a, a project by my now best friend, Quentin, from Focus, Focus Ultimate. So he started that team for the players who weren't good enough to go on the big French teams, but wanted to have an international experience. We got like a few training sessions, few training weekends, and then he brought us in Talampaya. And there, like, I think the second game we played was against France Mixed. So the mixed team of France that would end up fourth at uh, Worlds a few months later. And <laughs> I remember I was so impressed. And I didn't truly really understand because I never played against player like that. So, like, I was running, I'm usually pretty fast, and I was running, and I was seeing the guy running away from me. So, yeah, that, that was hard. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And in terms of the international tournament, seeing that atmosphere, what did you notice as you were playing in your small region of France? Now you're broadening out to this big tournament in Switzerland. What did you notice about maybe spirit of the game or just ultimate culture when you saw other countries involved as well? So in Europe, I think we have a pretty even vision of spirit of the game. I always think of the European ultimate Frisbee community as one big community because we always get to see each other, to meet each other on the tournaments, like even some 
quite small tournaments are directly international because we are not a lot of players. So, I mean, I was obviously stunned by the the atmosphere, like the, yeah, the party in terms of really... For sure, the parties. <laughs> I, I won't go further on that. But <laughs> yeah, as for the spirit, I, I think in Europe, it's pretty even, like everybody's trying to be respectful to to the other and yeah, like trying to have a good time above all. Yeah, that's fair. And, and I've heard that from other... Europeans who have come on the podcast, so gone a few of those out there, like Nico Mila, Dina Dumanskaya, among others. So you can check those out in the podcast archive. But back to you, Robin, in terms of your growth in Ultimate. So you started playing, and then you started a company. So that's what we're going to talk about. You know, on the podcast, we talk to a lot of players and coaches, but there are also other people who are part of the Ultimate community. And so you're you're one of those people who started a company. So why don't you talk about what led you to even envision starting a cleat company specifically for one sport? Because for me personally, I wear football cleats, and I'm sure you've heard that before, American football cleats. Some people wear soccer cleats. I know that's big. There's a bit of people who wear lacrosse cleats, but there's now ultimate specific cleats. So maybe talk about what inspired you to do that. Yeah, th- thank you for asking the question because, yeah, even when I think about it, I ask myself the question sometimes. But as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm a product development engineer and I've always been, like, since I was a kid, I always liked to to build stuff and create stuff and overthink a project and everything. So I, I started to really like Ultimate Frisbee and, yeah, I started to look, more into what I could create to make that sport better. And I soon ended up with the cleats, like seeing that there weren't cleats dedicated to Ultimate and started to investigate if that would mean something to to build new cleats dedicated to Ultimate Frisbee, just as there there is, as you mentioned, for American football, soccer, etc. Why is there not for Ultimate Frisbee? So I... Yeah, I started asking around and I I figured out it will, could be interesting. So I started the company. And in terms of getting market interest, you hear this a lot in terms of business, right? You get like a focus group in or some form of market research to find out what is the market for this? Is there it, like we're going to bring this product to market here, but is there going to be some sort of, you know, a viable amount of people? or a large amount of people who are actually going to buy it. So how did you figure out if there was going to be even any sort of interest from the Ultimate Frisbee community to before you start, you know, pouring money into it, pouring time, energy, resources, people? Yeah, so there were two steps about it. The, the first one was creating a survey. So I did it basic Google form, and I tried to get as, like, to understand really what people wanted for cleats for yeah some cleats dedicated to ultimate frisbee so i started sending it to my friends and asking them to send it to their friends i was collecting the email addresses so when somebody would reply i will ask him to share it with his friends and it was a kind of chain reaction that led me to gather 1300 answers from all around the world with people giving a lot of insights and 
that one of the numbers was 80% of people giving their email address, which is a very high level. So it helped me understand that not only were they interested enough to answer with interesting feedback to write a feedback, but also to give their email address, so that which meant that they wanted to keep in touch with the project. And that was the first step of, yeah, there maybe there must be something to do about it. And the second step of the project was the Kickstarter that you mentioned in the introduction. So after that survey, I like gathered the feedback and I met Putua designer that helped me turn the, my specifications into a drawing. And when I had that, I did the Kickstarter also with the idea that I would receive a lot of feedback. A Kickstarter is a very good way to test an idea because you publish your idea so you can get feedback. For example, say most of the people ask you a question about I don't know, the grip of the shoe. Then you can think either you didn't do a great job presenting what you did for the grip or uh, you didn't do a great job explaining what you did for the grip. But it can give you, give you a lot of feedbacks. And as well, it means that people are ready to pay because often like the players you meet, uh, I mean, I'm very... Um, I love what I'm doing, so I, I spread that joy when I speak to people and they can get very enthusiastic about it, so they will be happy. But there's a difference between saying, yeah, I like your idea, and actually... Yeah, it doesn't mean they're going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, taking the wallet out and, and buy it. So Kickstarter helps for those two things. I set like some a goal that meant that I could pay my first production. And if I reached that goal, then I would start production. So I reached it by 147%. So it meant, yeah, it's all clear. Let's go. Yeah, sweet. Uh, good to hear success stories through businesses and entrepreneurship for sure. And in terms of getting the survey out, as you mentioned, were there one or two high profile players? I know you have ambassadors now, probably didn't have it back then, or even thought about it back then, maybe. But did you have one or two high-profile players in France or in Europe that really helped with getting this survey out to a large mass of people? So I'm, I'm sorry about what I'm going to say, but I don't know because I didn't read it back. And by that time, I didn't know much about like the international players. So I'm really sorry if somebody hears it, answered the survey and is a high profile player. I mean, I didn't know you by then. And please send me an email to yeah, insult me about that <laughs> and not spotting your name. Yeah, that's that's fair because when you're new to the scene, you don't know the big names because how would you? You don't you haven't been a part of it, so it totally does make sense. I remember though I think my first contact with a high profile player was Mario Bryan from Rise Up. And he helped me get in touch with a lot of high-profile players that I met later. He also gave me my, my first lesson into the Ultimate Frisbee community because he said he was interested in helping me only if I had as many female ambassadors as men. I never thought about it at but that time. I didn't know that much about those issues. And like, he was the first one to open my eyes about it. And yeah, I'm still thankful 
for that. Yeah, shout out to Mario O'Brien. Uh, I've seen many of his Rise Up Ultimate videos, so uh, big shout out there. And in terms of the, I'm curious about this, because in terms of the survey feedback, maybe you don't remember this, but what was the main feedback that you heard from people? Were people saying yes? Well, clearly they said, yes, I want this. But what was the main feedback in terms of what the cleat should actually be like? And did that really contribute to how it actually turned out in the end? Yes, it did. If I remember correctly, the first one was comfort. So that's a big category, but there was like being able to wear your cleats for an entire weekend and also preventing blue nails. You know, like a lot of players have blue nails because or of... Or blisters too. <laughs> or blisters as well. And uh, that's because of the specific needs of playing soccer or football. But you, you don't need to face that when playing Ultimate. So that was one of the things that I was able to to remove from the player's life, let's say. And the second was grip with the toe stud. And the third was durability. And so they probably, as I've experienced, you might go through a pair of cleats in a year, let's say, or, or less, you could quote unquote blow them out, right? So that does happen. And so I'm sure you get this question often and, and, and definitely a question that I had as well. Uh, what would differ your cleats as someone who hasn't worn your cleats yet, I, I, will, I will say? So what's the difference between your cleats, the ultimate specific ones, and American football and soccer cleats? So maybe give a quick rundown to the audience of what makes your cleats different. Yeah, okay. So the thing about my cleats I'm the most proud of is, say, the, the comfort in general that they bring. So firsthand, when you put Tokai cleats on, you feel good in them. And like you don't need to break them in. And last year I was at the European Ultimate Championship. I was selling the cleats there and like people will put them on, pay and go playing. And like that, oh, wow. it was... That not really doesn't happen. You got to break them in. I've had to do that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a lot of players didn't believe it. But And also there is the comfort in game. So it all comes down, I can explain you later, but it all comes down to the shape. But the fact that we changed the shape of the, of the cleats means that you won't have blue nails, you are less prone to blisters, and also the fact that they are just wider helps stabilizing your feet so you have a better control of your movements in general and you're protecting your ankle. I would say that's the biggest features. Then there, there is obviously durability. Uh, I'm thinking of making a no blowout warranty this year because they just don't blow out. And they are very light. So they are great cleats to compete in. The cleats are designed in France, well, from you. Are they outsourced? Are they designed specifically in France or Europe? Or, or what does that look like? So, yeah, the, the cleats were designed in France. Here, there's a great story here as well. Like, I was looking for offices, and the guy who was running the offices put me in touch, connected me with a shoe designer. He told me a shoe designer. And so I, I met that guy and it, it results he was a former Adidas senior designer who designed uh, Zinedine Zidane's soccer cleats. Like, I don't know how famous this guy is. Like the, the cleats that, that helped 
France win the World Championship in soccer in 1998. So, like, big guy. <laughs> yeah, FIFA World Cup 98, I remember. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, that man knows so much about, like, cleats and everything. Like, like he helped me so much. I, I, I can't be thankful enough toward him. And then that's for the design, like uh, what will be the principle, like will be the aesthetic of the cleats. But then you have to actually manufacture it, as you mentioned. And then I met another company. They are lovely people as well. It's, it's two brothers. They live in Italy. They are from Italy. And their father was making shoes by then. And now like they are specialized in outsourcing shoes. And they also helped me so much. Like the first day I went there, I entered into the into the company, and they had like a sample of Tokai from the drawings I sent them, and they made me the surprise. And ever since, it's only been good surprises with them. And so they helped me outsource, yeah, the cleats. And so about where the the cleats are made. We tried to make them in Europe first because it was very important to me to, as we may discuss later, but like, I don't want to do a project just to do a project. I want to do a project by doing the things better than the others towards my values through sustainability, social justice. So it was really important for me to produce the cleats in Europe, but I quickly realized that We've been manufacturing shoes in Asia for, I don't know, 40 years, maybe even 50 years. So all the new processes, like manufacturing processes have been implanted in China and like the supply chains are in, in Asia. So like the material manufacturers, the yeah, machine manufacturers, etc. So in the end, if I wanted to make a pair of shoes that will be good enough, I had to go to China. So you actually traveled there? No, that, that it's, I kept working with that company that is making cleats. Yeah, they, they, they already work there. And so we, we sourced a company that is compliant to all the working requirements there. Ethically based on working conditions and, and those things, right? Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, 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 obviously, obviously. And also my, the Italian company helped me understand like we have a lot of misconceptions about China. For example, I don't know, take any shoe that you have in your drawer and any stitching that is there is made by hand, by, I mean, someone. And those workers are highly skilled workers. So it, it's not like for most of the sporting good, sporting shoes, there's no sweatshops anymore, like uh, sweat sweat factories anymore. These are highly skilled workers, and actually, every New Year's when they come back from their holidays, there's a lot of turnover between the companies because they come back, they renegotiate their contract, and all the shoe companies are in the same area, so they will go to the neighbor and renegotiate their contract. So, yeah. That part of that industry has evolved a lot since what we've known of the sweat factories, et cetera. Yeah, because that, that would probably be one of my main uh, maybe concern or just a thought because I know a lot of people, they assume, oh, something was made over in that continent, then it must be made for like $2 an hour by some uh, child out there. 
And that's often what we think about it. So that's uh, great that you're able to share a little bit more then. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's something I checked and I don't want to make any money on the sweat of anybody else. So that was very important to me. Yeah, I you know, love that for sure. And we're going to fast forward a little bit here. Kickstarter gets accepted. So, you know, things are on the move. Production is happening. And then in, as I mentioned in the bio there, you quit your full-time job. So you were doing something else, kind of what we talked about, product development engineer. So you quit your full-time job to start the company. So when you did that, were you nervous or were you pretty uh, confident that this would take off? Yeah, actually, I quit my job before the Kickstarter. If I was confident, I would say yes for <laughs> maybe a surprising reason. But, you know, in France, you have an employment helps for two years and like you can access it when you start your company. So actually I was, yeah, in a good position to, to start it and yeah. That's sweet. And I know, uh, often, obviously with starting a business, there's a, there's a lot of risk involved, not just financially, but also with time and resources. So really cool to see how that uh, played out for you. And then the Kickstarter launches, as we talked about now, you're full-time into this project. So what has your life basically been like since then? Because that's been a couple of years now. How has your life changed since all this project took off there for you? Yeah, thank you for asking because that's actually a big change. When you start a company, you're kind of responsible for that company, that project. I'm the only one working for Tokai, so if I don't take the right decision, if I forget about something, like the project can fall because of me, because of my misjudgment or lack of attention. So it's been a long path personally to learn how to also handle the stress that you can have. And like we talk a lot about like personal development and stuff like that. Like it's really like, yeah. No. It's a big, it's a big buzzword right now is, uh, Personal development, personal growth, self-growth. Those are big buzzwords and big industries right now, Robin. So, Yeah, and I mean, I won't reject all of it. Like there are some very basics that helped me structure my mind in a way that I could handle this project uh, without so much stress. But yeah, I, I think when you have the basics, like the um, there is a book called The Four Agreements that helped me a lot. So like, yeah, about personal development. For me, it's like the basic. If you, if you have that, you can go through kind of everything and process like any situation that happens to you. So it helped me a lot. And then I had to do a big job managing my job and my personal life. So, um, yeah, I could never be thankful enough to my girlfriend. Actually, when I started Tokai, when I resigned, the first person, like, and only person I needed the agreement from was my girlfriend because I knew there could be some problems. I could not make as much money as when I was an engineer. And so she will be involved in everything that will happen, the good and the bad. Yeah, she'll experience it for the good or the bad. Yeah, basically. exactly, exactly. That, that was a, a first step of what we may, may sign one day. 
And uh, yeah, she gave me her agreement. And then later on, like we had some discussions on the fact that I wasn't really able to separate my working time with my personal time. So that was a, a big step I had to take. And I had to work on it even more during the lockdown because then everything was also happening in the same place. Like we were locked down in our flat. So it was really hard to separate. Like my personal Facebook is my working Facebook and I don't have any, a personal Instagram. It's my working Instagram, etc. So I tend to mix everything up a lot. Same for my emails. From For example, I receive my personal and professional emails in the same place, which is very bad. That was like the biggest steps I had to take to become a good entrepreneur as well as a good human and partner. Love to hear the self-growth, all about it on the podcast and, and just in life. So uh, great that you recommended the book. I'll uh, put that in the show description if you want to check out that book, The Four Agreements. Yes, please, because it's very good. <laughs> yeah, big recommendation from uh, the founder of Tokai Ultimate. So you got to read it now. So that actually segues really well into segment two. So we're going to go into day-to-day life. I'm going to be interested in this as well. Because as you mentioned, you run the company solely by yourself. So for other companies, right, they have someone on the marketing team. They have someone on product development, someone answering customer service, right? someone doing yeah social media i guess that's associated with the marketing so there's a lot going on there and you do it all so why don't you walk the audience through what a typical day looks like for you we'll start with maybe during lockdown during covid and then maybe in years past when there were tournaments running and you were kind of out and about promoting the company yeah thank you for asking because it took me quite a lot of work to get there as you may imagine i'm very creative i have a creative mind and i have uh, so which helps me do all of that but also it's very hard to concentrate to focus on only one task too many ideas too many ideas yeah exactly exactly and so often i i want to insert a customer service email because i received a phone call or i had an idea and i started drawing a new pair of shoes and that's very bad for the customer of course and i'm i'm sorry if I did that to the listeners, uh, really. But yeah, so now I started, I am trying to organize my week. So Monday morning is for setting up the week, like seeing which appointments I have and yeah, what I want to achieve over the week. I realized during the lockdown that the reason why I had a hard time sleeping was because I was feeling I didn't achieve enough. So I was thinking about Tokai when I was going to bed and I decided that's very bad. So I decided I would set goals per week and that if I achieved those goals over the week and the day, then I will be happy with myself and I wouldn't torture myself when going to bed. That was a big step. So then it's very hard to describe a week because... Yeah, I can do so many different things. Yeah, it changes so much, but of course I have to answer customers' emails, which I love within our community. I'm I'm always so happy because, yeah, even if you do things wrong and I always do some stuff wrong because I'm alone and working like worldwide, 
handling. Like logistics worldwide is very complicated, but the players I'm talking with are so understanding of that and always so kind. Like, I don't know how many companies face customers that accept so many <laughs> excuses every day from the company. And that's a big thing that I'm always thankful to the community that, yeah, people can forgive. If you're true, you have to be true when you do that. But so yeah, a lot of answering emails. And then there is a lot, I, I, I really believe in the process. So when I have to do something new, first I learn about it. Then I start kind of prototyping it. So I do it by myself without automatizing anything. And then when I think I understand the stakes of that thing, it can be production, it can be logistics, it can be marketing or anything. Then I automatize it so that it doesn't take me so much time. And I just like overlook, like I just look at the process is doing smoothly. And if I cannot automatize it, then I, I have to subcontract it. But yeah, with COVID, I, I try not to do that so much because it's expensive. <laughs> In terms of, you mentioned before that Tokai was at one of the European Ultimate Championships. So what are you doing during a non-COVID time in terms of tournaments? Are you going to the, all the main European tournaments, having a booth set up? Like, what does that look like? Now I have two kinds of tournaments, like the big ones where I set a beautiful booth and I stay there and yeah, I'm just there for the customers. And I realized there are smaller tournaments where I can go, but it's not worth it staying at the booth all the time. So I just put a panel there saying I'm picking up with that team and I go playing with the team and people come to me and say, hey, are you the guy from Tokai? I'm interested, blah, 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 and we start talking. But um, yeah, so there are those, those two types of tournaments. Yeah, that's a lot of driving, but that's a lot of fun as well. <laughs> Road trips are good no matter what country you live in, I assume. So especially with Europe, with a lot of the good scenery out there, I'm sure it's a, it's a blast there. And since you are based in Europe, something that people might wonder is, What's the response been like around the world, not just in Europe? Because obviously, if you're going to these European tournaments, people hear about it and they're, they're excited about it. But what about the response from, you know, my home country, Canada or the US or Asia? What's that been like? Today, I mainly focused on two markets that are Europe and North America. Europe because I live here and North America because it's the biggest one. So I'm not able yet to serve Asia, Oceania, like. I'm selling there some cleats sometime because my website is there, obviously, but I'm not able to put so much effort there. Yeah, in Europe, like they know me because when I was starting, I went to all the tournaments I, I called even before having cleats. So people were like, who's that guy? Like later, some, some of the players told me, oh, when I saw you the first time, I didn't believe in your project at all. And now you have cleats, that's incredible. Because I just had stickers, you know, and I was giving stickers away. <laughs> they were doubting you though. They were doubting you. Don't yeah. doubt a business person with the, the creative mind that you can't do it. Don't do it. They really cool because I was just there freezing with my stickers, you know. But yeah, and ever since I've been to all of the big tournaments, so, so yeah, people 
most of the European players, I think, know me now. And but in 2019, I was wondering about like what will be the situation in the US because I was already selling there because I had a lot of exposure with first the survey, then the Kickstarter, then some players talking about the cleats and liking them, etc. But I was wondering what cool people say on the field. So um, I had a, a tournament, a college tournament, Lobster Pot, shout out to them, inviting me. And I said, yeah, why not? So I, I took a plane, I went there and I set up my booth and listened to what the people were saying and presenting my cleats. And I realized that when people tried the cleats on, they really liked them, but they didn't know me. Like, no, nobody knew what Tokai was. And they were like, oh, what is this new company? And like, ah, not really new, but anyways. Yeah, then that's when I decided to reach out to USA Ultimate to build more visibility there. because And uh, I wanted to go to tournaments. And when we were chatting, we... Yeah, we ended up having that partnership with Team USA. That was a, a big thing for, for Takai. So all of Team USA wears the cleats or some of them? All those who asked for it, but that should be most of them now. Yeah, they will be wearing them. Like now they are working out with them, but hopefully when we return to play, they will be wearing them. That's some pretty sweet visibility because uh, as you know, at a world's tournament, Everyone, first of all, wants to beat the U.S. And then second of all, everyone wants to watch them play and get and learn and get better. So if they see the team and they're rocking those Tokai cleats, that's a great exposure and visibility for your brand. Yes, yeah, sadly, the World Championship got cancelled. And yeah, I have a big thoughts to all of the players who were selected into the national teams and were kind of stolen that opportunity. I, I'm not that level, so I can't imagine how hard it is, but I think it's a disappointing, yeah. lot of efforts. Yeah, yeah, it's very disappointing. Yeah, I, I hope we can return to play as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, you and me both, a lot of people are thinking that for sure. And as I noticed through uh, looking at your website there and, and, and also having some of the players that are ambassadors for your company, like Inesh Brinjel, for example, you can check that episode out as well. So what process do you have, if you can share, in terms of getting ambassadors? Are people reaching out to you? I'm sure lots of people are reaching out to you saying, hey, Robin, I want some free cleats. Hook me up, bro. Send them over. That's great. So how do you determine who do you want to help market your brand? What does that look like? So, yeah, thank you for asking that question. Actually, I want it to be a true relationship. So all of the ambassadors had my cleats before becoming ambassadors. I'm not giving away cleats to people so that they become an ambassadors. There's no deal like that. It's only people who had the cleats and love them enough so that they would want to reach out and become an ambassador. You can't just go out to every company asking for uh, the free cleats there is what you're saying. So you have some American ambassadors as well. I've noticed um, Robin Fennig being one of them. So you've kind of trying to reach that market as well, right, Robin? Yeah, that's a great story with uh, Robin Fennig because uh, so she got her first pair of cleats when she wrote an article for Skype magazine. So she received the cleats and then after writing the article, she reached out to me and like we started chatting and she was like, yeah, 
I really love your project. I love the cleats and I want to be able to help. And uh, she she was one of the first ambassadors, one of the first players becoming ambassador. And she, she's been helping me so much. Like every time I I needed some tips, some contact, anything, she, she's always been there. And I'm very thankful to, to her and all the ambassadors. Like that's also their role, like the role that you cannot really see, but uh, being here, especially over the quarantine to have some people to chat with and be in touch with the entire world is so important. You definitely have that network now and you can uh, use that network to reach out kind of like what you did with the survey. So kind of bring it back full circle. And uh, last question here of this segment, so we can hop into memorable games after, but what's kind of the next steps for your project right now? What's the next steps for Tokai ultimate and for you, Robin? I'm in a turning point of that project as now I'm happy with what I have developed with the cleats. So I will be able to turn that energy I was and resources I was putting into developing new cleats and a better product into something else. Yeah, I want to make clear here that I'm doing that because I'm happy with the product and product is kind of the first thing that comes with the guy every time we speak with a new partner or anything. I'm trying to send a pair of cleats so that we know what we're talking about. And that's very important to me because like the basics of a company is not their marketing, is definitely their product. And I, I want people to be happy when playing with our cleats. That's the basic. And I think now we have that so I can do more and I can start uh, giving back to our community. So um, I'm building a program based on the values of the company. I have sorted three values that are spirit of the game, diversity, equity, inclusion, and sustainability. And so far, I'm calling this program ACT. If you've got a better name, I'm open to it. I'm not sure about it. But what is important to me is to create actions that will highlight those values and will help develop those values. So it's not clear yet, but my main goal for 2021 is to have that program started and really being able to give back to the community and have an impact on our world, not only by providing good product, which I've been able to create within those few years, but also having a good impact on our world. I mean, sign me up. You're uh, you're spewing some good stuff right there, Robin. Uh, wanting to impact the world, and that's awesome. Well, I guess we're segueing here into memorable games. As we mentioned and, and kind of learned about, you didn't grow up in the Elite Ultimate scene. So it's kind of cool just to hear about the bare bones, you know, League games or pickup or whatever. So let's start with your least favorite game that you've ever played. What's the least favorite game you've ever played? As we mentioned before the podcast, I'm a, a big fan of your podcast and I'm listening to it every morning when I work out. Oh man, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I, I know what is the other question that is coming and it's the most favorite game. So I'm going to cheat here. And actually it's funny because it was like both, I think, were first and second leg of our indoor championship. I can't remember the year. Like... It's our regional indoor championship, so no big stakes there, no big plays. I mean, big plays for my team, but... <laughs> and yeah, the, the first leg of 
that uh, matchup was pretty hard because we all felt cheated and there was a lot of tension in that in that game and I'm pretty sure I also fell into that spiral of bad vibes and you know when you feel cheated and may- maybe they didn't cheat you but you feel cheated and if you let yourself go yeah, then, it, then it comes out in your anger yeah yeah if you let yourself go into that anger anything can become terrible and so yeah what made that game bad was my experience of a bad spirit i'm saying my experience because again it could be a different experience for other people yeah for sure yeah exactly i don't want to judge their action but i i remember i also behaved badly because i felt cheated and that i i think that's my worst experience of a game but then we came back all pumped for the second leg of that matchup and i think i had my best game ever in the sense that i was feeling that constant pressure because we were always tying each other and i, I was having that pressure and i i think like everything i did in that game worked and that was such a feeling that for yeah maybe 30 minutes you're untouchable and you can't do anything and you're on cloud nine you're riding on the clouds (laughs) you're 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 walking on the cloud and everything works and it's it feels so good so um, yeah that's my my two game experiences and in terms of the legs you hear that a lot with european soccer obviously champions league things like that where the two teams are playing each other home and home right and kind of things. Is that what was happening here? Were you playing the same team twice kind of thing? The French Championship is always played over two weekends. So you have the round robins and most of the time you have a first and second leg against the team and then you have the qualification games. Yeah, you have like the lower level teams are playing regional. So we are playing inside the region so we don't have to drive too far. And then when you get better, you play nationally. So maybe you will drive a bit further and meet teams that are more on your on your level. So Robin, we're going to head to the fourth segment, Rapid Fire. We're going to talk about some ultimate related questions first. So first question for you, which throw do you prefer, your flick or backhand? I like the flick because that's the one I had the most problem fighting. So yeah, now I love it. That's uh, quite common for beginners there, uh, learning the flick. It's a different motion, for sure. What about a huge hammer or a scuba? Oh, I love the scuba. I love the, the flight of the disc on the scuba. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's especially nice in, in over a zone there, for sure. And what about would you rather... Uh, you're going to have two choices here. You're going to have to either drop a pole or you drop a catch in the end zone. Yeah, I will drop the pool because that's what has led. No, get it. I will drop in the end zone, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't even remember the, the game. That's terrible. So yeah, I, I will rather drop a catch in the end zone because that's what has this impact on the game. Sorry, that's also what I do best as a, as a cutter because I'm a cutter. So I'm better at dropping uh, catches in the end zone than dropping a pool. You don't want to be uh, catching poles is what you're saying. So <laughs> exactly. talk about maybe, let's say, French Nationals or maybe the European Ultimate Championships. You have a chance to win five silver medals in a row or you only win one gold medal, but you don't make it to the finals all the other years. Uh, the gold medal will be huge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
And what about Ultimate Frisbee? I know a lot of people, some people like the name, some people don't. It's actually just Ultimate. But do you think that Ultimate should be renamed to something else? It's a very hard question for me because I love the legacy of the name. But uh, as the marketing manager of my own company, it's terrible to find the, the good keywords on AdWords with Ultimate Frisbee. That's terrible. So, yeah. Yeah, something I've talked about before as well is like, because Ultimate could be like Ultimate Fighter, Ultimate Fighting Championship, Ultimate Team in FIFA. Like there's a lot of Ultimate stuff happening. So it's not just synonymous with our sport. So it's it's very hard to like to be on the internet with this name, especially that Frisbee is a trademark. You cannot use it. It makes everything complicated. But I I love history and I love the legacy of the name. Definitely makes sense. And I'm not sure how much experience you have uh, with the pro leagues out here in North America with reps. But what do you think about referees in Ultimate? Is that something that you think should happen or, or stick to observers and game advisors, which you definitely see more of in Europe? Yeah, no, I, I definitely like the self-officiation and that's one of the things I'm going to be working on through my ACTS program. I also think that self-officiation makes you accountable for your actions. And I think it creates a different way to interact with people. And I've had so good experiences within the Ultimate community of people interacting in a very nice way with me, being able to trust those people. That, and I think most of it comes with the fact that we are all from the same community. We share the same... Same values. Yeah, and the same values. Yeah, no, I get that for sure. And as we've talked about Europe a lot on this podcast, should Ultimate continue to pursue its place in the Olympic Games to get there one day? I, uh, I mean, that... That will be such a great reward for the people who have been training so hard to get at that level and being able to represent their country at the Olympics. And it will also create, I'm sure, a bigger stake for the players, like a higher goal that will be meaningful for anybody they know. So it will only give more visibility to ultimates not, not only on the media stage but also for the player who are dedicating that their, their time to it and want to talk about it with their parents without it being called a dog sport that's a classic that's a classic right there but the, the fact that we at the olympics can change the way people see ultimate all along the chain yeah change the perception for sure because i know uh in north america a big thing is getting some of the you know usa ultimate national championships or college championships there on espn3 and trying to increase visibility there but there's nothing more visible than the olympics i mean fifa world cup is pretty visible as well but getting the olympics out there for all these countries to see the sport would be uh, pretty cool and now robin we're going to move in some non-sports questions since you listen to the podcast you're going to know what the questions are but I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history. They could be living or they can be brought back from the dead. So who are you choosing to have this meal with? I've given a lot of thoughts to that, but I came out with two. And one is Gandhi because, yeah, uh, to me, he's 
really an outstanding person in the world's history, being able to achieve so much, giving a message of peace. Yeah, it's incredible to me and I'd love to meet him. And the other one is my grandma because I'm pretty sure she would love to have a meet with, with Gandhi. All right. I like that that personal connection, that personal flavor. You love to see it there on the podcast. And second question here, in the French Alps, okay, maybe it's, let's think summer, not snowy French Alps, okay? You're putting on the biggest concert in the French Alps. It's Robin's personal concert. You get to book any band or artist in the world. And if they're broken up, you bring them back. Or if they're dead, you bring them back as well. So who are you going to bring for this concert? And you also got to choose the order in which they play. I will start with I Am. It's a rap group from the city where I'm from. They are singing in French, but they are so damn good. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll bring the hype to start off the concert. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they're not the kind of people starting a concert, so I, I hope they will accept it. Oh, they're normally headlining is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I hear what you're saying. Then I think... I'd go on with Shakira because, yeah, she's just so good at entertaining and having good vibes concept. And also my girlfriend is from Colombia, so I'm pretty sure she would love that. And I think to calm the things down after Shakira, I will invite Bob Marley also to bring that message of peace that he has and the good vibes so we can all dance until the morning. Yeah, the re the reggaeton, I like it, yeah. Yeah, no, that's sweet, I like that, I like that, for sure. And so uh, that'd be a sweet concert there in the French Alps. Last question here, can't choose ultimate as the answer for this question. So I'm going to give you all the talent in the world. You can play on any sports team or organization, or you can do an individual sport, you know, swimming, tennis, golf, whatever that is. So what would you pick? Damn, I forgot about this one. <laughs> I will have a very French answer, but I think I would go for the Tour de France cycling just because of the, yeah, how amazing the, that competition is. And have you actually, have you been there? Have you watched it at all live? I'm not sure if that's something French people do, but. Yeah, they came close by to where I live here. So we went to see them, but it's it's funny because so when you, you go there, first there are all the publicity cars that come and they throw away goodies and everything, which is very bad for the environment. And I'm pretty sure they will change it soon because, yeah, it doesn't really make sense anymore. But, well, that's the way it is. And then we were placed very poorly because we, were, we went at the end of a big downhill road. So the guys were... Passing by so fast, they were at 70 kilometers an hour or something like that. It made no sense. So yeah, that will be, I don't know, maybe 30 miles an hour or something like that. And yeah, you just, no, it's not 30, it's more, more like 50. Okay. Yeah, I, I have no clue how fast bikes can go. So. <laughs> and it was very funny because. So I was with my girlfriend who's from Colombia and we checked on the internet and there was a Uran was into the the leading ones. And so when they came, we were ready, Colombia, Colombia, and passes us that fast. And he turns around on his bike and he waves at us. 
and we were like, damn, this guy is leading the race. He's going so fast and he waves, waves at us because we said Colombia. How bad would you feel if he crashed? Oh, very bad. But then we, we looked at the replay on TV on the evening to see if, if we were filmed. And we realized he, he wasn't waving at us. He was waving at the technical car because he was having a technical issue on his bike <laughs> just when he was passing us. So it wasn't because you were chanting Columbia. It wasn't because of that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, but we, we had already published on my girlfriend's Instagram a video where we could see him waving at us. Like we had tagged him and everything. And we were like, okay, let's, let's leave it anyway. <laughs> I love the stories there and a great story to end the episode there, Robin. So if our audience wants to find out more about you, you said that your personal and professional social medias are kind of linked together. So why don't you plug the socials there for Tokai Ultimate? Those who want to look up at Tokai can find me on Instagram and Facebook uh, with the handle Tokai Ultimate. That's T-O-K-A-Y Ultimate. Uh, no space. And the website is tokai-ultimate.com. Yeah, and any mean you choose to reach out to me, you can just say, hi, Robin, I'm the one answering the messages. So feel free to keep the conversation going and ask me the questions you may have after that episode. I will be happy to answer. Yeah, so if you uh, want to reach out, slide into the DMs on Instagram hit up Facebook Messenger or send an email off of the website. You can definitely do that. I'll make sure to leave all that in the show description along with the book, Four Agreements. Check that out as well. I'm going to have to do that as well. So Robin, thanks again. Coming all the way from France, virtually of course, but thanks for uh, taking time out of your schedule there with Tokai Ultimate to talk about a cool project. And I know this podcast episode... This week is a little bit more business focused, but I think that's pretty cool because we often think Ultimate just as a something people do for enjoyment and a sport that they love. But for some people, it's also part of their business practices and business development. So for you, Robin, that's definitely true. And so really appreciate you sharing the business side of Ultimate because there is a business side to it, even though sometimes we don't think so. Yeah, th- thank you, Theo, for having me. It was a, a great time. And just to to keep on on what you were saying to me it's very important like a lot of people helped me in developing that project and becoming a business guy which i wasn't at all when i started okay so i'm always happy to share my experience and everybody having any questions about business development i will always be happy to to have an answer those questions but thank you so much for having me it was a great time here and i'll be listening to the other shows on monday when working out monday morning First thing. Well, they come out on Tuesdays. Come out on Tuesdays. So definitely uh, check those out. But uh, yeah, if you're an aspiring uh, entrepreneur, you want to start a new project, I definitely recommend reaching out to Robin and just learning about his experiences in kind of a personal way, right? Just one-on-one communication. So that'd be great. So Robin, thanks again for coming. Do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Shanee Crawford a 17-year veteran of Ultimate who has played for Atlanta Ozone, Atlanta Bucket, Atlanta Soul of the Premier Ultimate League, and the Color of Ultimate Tour. She also started her own company, Discover Diversity, where she serves as an equity consultant for college, club, and professional Ultimate teams. In this interview, here's Shanee reflect on her career 
and the work she is doing with Discover Diversity, including the upcoming Continent Tour. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports, and you can see some of my commentary highlights on YouTube at Juan and Only Sports. Cashew listeners on the flip side. Peace.